together as a church every Sunday. God, we ask that you just be with us. Give us ears to listen today as Adrian preaches. We love you, and we just thank you for what you've done on the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Thank you, worship team. I love that song. Good morning, Firewell family. And welcome to 2022. You made it. All right? Even though it feels like Groundhog Day sometimes. We made it. And so uh, I hope that you had a good time during this holiday season spending it with your family. And then hopefully also keeping Jesus in the center of your worship. Uh, Jen and I just came back from a trip, uh, spending some time with family in Ohio. We are glad to be back, being in the snow belt, and we got no snow, so no white Christmas, and then come to come back, and now all of a sudden it feels like the snow belt here. So uh, exciting, exciting times. If I've not had the pleasure to meet you yet, my name is Pastor Adrian Pino. I have the opportunity every Sunday to be one of the teachers in the great room, and on occasion you'll see me up here, so I'm always grateful when I get an opportunity to share the word of God with you. And continue us on in this series that we are finding ourselves in the book of Matthew. I am so excited about today. When Pastor Chris told me a couple of weeks ago, I want you to jump into this series again and I want you to preach. I told him, I'm like, I'm, I really, really hope that we fall in this series in the passage that I'm going to cover with you today. Because I am so excited about it. And I can tell you with a straight face and all sincerity, some of the stuff I'm going to share with you today literally changed my life. And so because of that, this is very personal to me, and I hope that it will be to you as well. Now, when you walked in this morning, it's very important today. There's not a sermon, buddy, but there's basically two different handouts, one of which I created and the other one which is a tool. It's very important. I want you to have these uh, because you can take notes on these. These kind of follow through the message anyway. And there's specific tools that I'm going to reference at the end that will be applicable to what we're going to share this morning. So if you have not actually got these when you walked in, just raise your hand in one of our guests' Uh, services. People would love to be able to hand these to you because I want you to walk away with these uh, today because they're great tools that we're going to talk about uh, when we get to kind of the application section of this morning's message. So as I said, we are continuing on in our sermon series in the book of Matthew. We find ourselves in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, which the Sermon on the Mount is Matthew's chapter 5 through chapter 7. And last week, our very own Kevin Davis kicked off chapter 6 for us, and Kevin did a great job. Can we give him a hand? Always love hearing Kevin share the word. And Kevin talked about acts of righteousness, so almsgiving. And he talked about the necessity of being generous in our giving and to give in a way that we have a right, to give in the right way and manner and also with the right attitude. So thank you, my friend, for your ministry. And I am basically picking up right where he left off. So if you want to place yourselves in the scripture with us, we are going to find ourselves in Matthew chapter 6. Immediately starting at verse 5, and we have a large kind of chunk of scripture to cover today, which basically we're covering in two parts. These two concepts, as I said, literally have changed and revolutionized my life, and I hope that today you'll be able to walk away with some things that will help, hopefully be able to chart you on that path as well. So I want to go ahead by just opening with a word of prayer, and then we'll jump in and buckle your seat belts because we got a lot to cover this morning. So let's pray. Well, Lord, we are grateful for the opportunity we have together, to gather together as the saints of God and to gather in this place. Thank you for Firewheel, for this church, for our home. And thank you for all that you are doing in our lives and just in this place. Lord, I pray today as your servant that the meditation of my heart and the words of my mouth would be pleasing to you. That you would take this word, Lord, from this broken vessel 
And take but one word of it, Lord, and we know that your word will not return void. May it go forth in power. So give us ears to hear and give us a heart to receive what you would say to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, I love to learn. How many of you guys love to learn? Right? So I love to learn. I believe that it's very important for us to stay lifelong students. That doesn't necessarily mean you're in school all the time, but that we are consistently always learning. Now, people learn in various different ways. How many of you are auditory learners? You learn by, by listening, whether it's like, you know, listening to a lecture, listening to some kind of audio book or something of that nature. So we have some auditory learners. Some people learn through their senses. They're very tactile. How many of you guys learn by hands-on, putting your hands on stuff and getting kind of tactile learning, right? Now, we also learn through our experiences, and if you're a millennial like me, we also learn through YouTube. How many of y'all ever learned anything through YouTube, right? I learned how to build a PC through YouTube, okay? So I learned how to fix a toilet through YouTube. So YouTube's like my go-to when it comes to uh, all things knowledge related to things hands-on. Now, learning, if you think about it, is the acquisition of knowledge or some skill that you did not previously possess. So you didn't possess this information, you didn't possess this skill, so now you are receiving it and you're learning it and then you're hopefully applying that and then putting it into practice. Now there are several things that when we become believers in Jesus that we have to learn. Would you agree that when you become a believer in Jesus you automatically don't receive perfection? That you don't automatically go from zero to 60, that you don't become this great spiritual mature giant overnight. No, as a matter of fact, the Bible likens us to little children. What, just like little children in the natural, we are little children in the spiritual when we first come to Christ and then we must grow and we must develop. A learning process takes place. Now there's a couple things very notably in my life, and I'm sure that some of you have the same testimony. That when I became a believer in Jesus, there's two things I learned very quickly that I did not know. Number one is I did not know how to pray. I did not know how to pray. And secondly, it's cousin to that, which we'll also talk about today, is I honestly didn't know much about fasting. And I didn't see how these two things played off of each other. I think that we wrongfully assume a lot of times in Christianity that people just know how to pray. When people get saved, we just say and we just kind of flippantly say, well, prayer is just talking to God. But you and I live in a generation where people's, most of their talking is done through a computer screen or a text message or a tweet. So if people can't even learn to talk with one another face to face, that's a novel thing. That doesn't happen very much anymore. We've lost the art of communicating with each other face to face. How much more intimidating is it than to think that, well, how do I communicate with the God of the universe? How do I actually communicate with this God? How do I pray to him? And that's one of the things that I think we have taken for granted. Fasting isn't just something you do before going in for blood work. We all know that, right? That you got to fast before you go in for blood work sometimes. But fasting is much more than that. So here's something I wish that I knew earlier in my Christian life that I want to share with you as a principle. This will kind of uh, uh, bracket our section on prayer. Then I'm going to give you another big principle related to our section on fasting. Here's what I wish I knew is that prayer is learning... That's a very key word. It's learning. It's learning to communicate honestly and consistently with God. I chose those words very specifically. Let me say that again. Prayer is learning to communicate honestly and consistency, consistently with God. By a quick show of hands, how many of you have ever had somebody come alongside of you and to help you learn how to pray? How many of you ever had that? It's exactly like I thought. 
this bit, I can number the number of hands that went up on my two hands in this room. Most of us never had that experience. We learned through our own trial and error. We may have learned and sought it out afterward ourselves, or we just kind of fumbled through it till we finally kind of found some type of rhythm when it comes to prayer. Now, if you are honest, how many of you would raise your hand, and I will raise my hand to this, sometimes find prayer to be intimidating? It's, it's okay. We're honest here, right? Prayer is intimidating if you think about it. We are creature. We are praying to the creator. We're, pra we're praying to a being is who is holy other. We are, we're creating in his image, but he is, we are not him, okay? It's a different playing field when we talk about God in relationship to, hu to humanity. And so that can be intimidating when we think about it. And for some people I know, prayer can be an intimidating thing. Let me ask you one last question. How many of you have ever fasted before, not for medical reasons, but for spiritual ones? How many of you have ever fasted before? Okay, not that many hands went up with that either. So guess what? You are in good company today. One of the most honest things that I love about the Gospels is sometimes when you listen to the words of the disciples because they were learning, right? They were pupils. They were learning from a teacher. They were learning from Jesus. And they asked some of the most honest questions. And one of the most honest questions that was asked by one of the disciples we find in Luke chapter 11, verse 1. In Luke chapter 11, verse 1, this is Luke's account essentially of the passage we're going to talk about today. We're going to go back to Matthew after this. But he gives us a little bit extra flavor, and I want you to see what he says. Luke chapter 11, verse 1 says this. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples, listen to what he said. Lord, teach us to pray. Just as John taught his disciples. Teach us to pray. One of the most humble things that you could ever ask, and here they are at the feet of the master, and they ask him, Lord, teach us to pray. We, want, we know that this thing is important. We see you do it all the time. We don't really know how to do it. Help us and help us to learn what it means to pray. So today, I'm going to try in this, in this large gathering to be able to help us to learn to pray. I'm also going to try to help us to learn a little bit about fasting and what that is and how that relates to prayer. So I have a big goal today to be able to help us with that. But that's why I gave you these tools and we're going to talk through some very specific principles. We're going to make some comments along the way as we walk through the scripture. And we're going to do this very practically and very kind of pragmatically today as we kind of just go through the scripture. I'm going to offer you some principles and I'm going to get, talk about these tools that I gave you and how you can utilize them so you can actually put this into practice. So let's find, let's go to our text and find ourselves in Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 5. This is kind of preliminary stuff before we actually get to what we call the Lord's Prayer. But listen to what is said. Verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites or the Pharisees in this specific case. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners. That key statement, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you that they have received their reward. Matthew's doing something very specific here. He is drawing our attention to the heart behind prayer. The heart is always very important to Jesus. And here he is drawing our attention to the fact that it's okay, it's good to pray, but you can pray with the wrong heart. Isn't that crazy when you think about it? It's really good to pray, but you could do it in a wrong way and you could do it with the wrong heart. It's okay praying in public. It's okay praying in church. When we come to church on a Sunday morning, we pray in public. You've already heard Pastor Chris pray. I pray. We pray in public. We do those things. But is, are we doing it with the right motive? Are we doing it so that we can be seen by others, so others think that we're holy and righteous somehow, or we're somehow more holy? Or are we doing it genuinely because we want to connect with God? 
And that's what he's kind of alluding to here. And it's a very subtle temptation to fall into at times. Verse 6, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door. And pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Here's a principle for you. Prayer is both public and private. Prayer is both public and private. As I mentioned, when we come to church, we pray publicly. We do that within our classrooms. We do that within the service. There's a public element, and there's power when God's people come together to pray. Would you say that there's power when God's people come together to pray, right? So that's significant. There is a public element to prayer. However, prayer is also private. Now, please hear my heart on this as a pastor, and I'm not saying this in a way to, to make you feel bad. But if the only time you practice prayer is at church, then something is wrong. Then something is wrong. Something is off. Because we even see modeled in the life of Jesus, Jesus went away often by himself to pray. And that's the picture that we have that we need to have as well, that we need to get alone ourselves to spend time specifically to connect with God so that we can pray alone. Disconnected from all the noise, focused time spending it directly with God. Verse 7, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be, listen to this, heard for their many words. Now here's a principle that kind of rocked my life when I, when I finally got, came to this conclusion, is that prayer is about the quality of our hearts, not the quantity of our words. Let me say that again. Prayer is about the quality of our hearts and not the quantity of our words. Now, I grew up, my mom went to church, and we went to what I would call a very legalistic church, now that I understand what that is. But they would spend significant chunks of time in prayer and in fasting, and they would do it for like whole half days, or sometimes for 24-hour periods. So in my mind, I grew up with this perception, even though I didn't realize it till later, that I thought in order for me to pray and for me to be considered somehow like I was growing in my relationship with God, that I needed to set aside six hours in the day to pray. That I needed to, you know, spend 24 hours in fasting and to do this to be able to pray. And so I had built up in my own mind this idea that I had to have a certain length of time, I had to do it in a certain way in order to show that I was spiritually mature or I was growing in my faith. But that is not what Jesus is going to teach us. And that's not what the point of this is. Because you can pray for a long amount of time and pray with no substance. You can pray and say a lot of words and the words be empty. So it's not about the quantity of the words that we are saying, but what is the quality of our heart when we are praying? Are we doing it in a way where we're wanting to connect with God and we're doing it with sincerity and we're doing it in a way that is honoring to him, that is totally focused upon him? Listen, it is great to have long times of prayer. Take those times when you can. However, don't look at it like, okay, that I can't pray because I can't spend an hour. How about you look at it like what time I have dedicated to spend with God that my heart is into it and I'm doing it in a way that's pleasing to him and I'm directing my heart toward him. Then I'm doing it with the right heart. Verse 8 tells us the reason why we don't need to use all of these many, many words. He says, do not be like them, talking about the Pharisees. For your father knows what you need before you even ask him. So the reason why prayer is not about length is because God knows everything before we even ask. God knows everything about us. As Pastor Chris likes to say, God sees, through, sees us like a single pane of glass, sees right through us. So God knows everything which we need. He knows our hearts. He knows our desires. 
So it's not about these idle words. It's about releasing our heart to him truly and with sincerity. Now here's what we're going to do. We are going to take the opportunity to pray together corporately. So I'm going to put the words on the screen to what we call the Our Father prayer, which is found in the next section, and we're going to pray it together. Okay? So I just want to read the beginning part of verse 9, and then I'm going to say 1, 2, 3, and on the count of 3, we're going to pray this together. Okay? This is the model that Jesus gave us. This is a model prayer. And then we're going to break this down and talk about what does this prayer actually model for us. So, starting at verse 9, it says, when you pray, it says, then pray like this. So on the count of three, we're going to read it together, okay? One, two, three. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Verse 14. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So we're going to put the, the, the Lord's Prayer back on the screen. And what we're going to do is we're going to, what is this prayer model for us? What does it, well, how does it show us how to pray? Because Jesus, he, he's saying when you pray, pray like this. So this serves as a model for us. It is something that you probably learned as a kid and you definitely can pray this. But it's something also that is emblematic of the way in which, and manner in which we should pray, okay? So the prayer begins with, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, the word hallow is kind of an interesting word. If I could say it this way, the prayer begins with praise. It begins with praise. To hallow God's name means to hold it in reverence, to hold him in reverence, to honor and to glorify him. So that all that God is should be treated as holy and honored. As I even mentioned earlier, God is holy other. When something was holy, considered holy, that means it was set apart. Whether it was the items in the tabernacle that were set apart specifically for worship, or in this case, when we call God holy, we are saying that he is set apart from us. He's cut from another cloth. He's a different being than we are. And we are... We are in some ways by our praise and our worship as we lift our prayers to him, we are acknowledging the fact that he is worthy of all of it. So to hallow his name is a means of, pra is a means of praise. So isn't it interesting that the prayer that Jesus models for us starts with praise. Now imagine how our prayer lives would change if we started with praise rather than requests. Most of the time we come to God and we say, all right, dear Lord, I pray for so-and-so's health. I pray for this. I pray for that. We list this laundry list of needs. And here is Jesus himself showing us that we begin with praise. We begin with a heart and attitude of worship toward the God to whom we're praying. So prayer is, praise is an important element of prayer. The second thing is that it moves on to intercession. When it says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that is intercession. That is asking heaven to come to earth. That is an acknowledgement that earth does not look like heaven. That the kingdom authority of heaven and that the way it's governed and how heaven is perfect and there is no sin present in heaven, all that stuff we're asking to invade earth. When we're praying that God would bring healing to somebody, there is no 
There is no, uh, no sickness in heaven. So we're asking heaven to invade earth, that earth would look a little bit more like heaven in that reality. So when we're praying, we're interceding, we're asking God, we're saying we realize that this earth needs to look a little bit more like heaven. May heaven come down, may the supernatural meet the natural, that heaven would invade earth, that earth would look a little bit more like the place where we want to ultimately be. Where God dwells, where his kingdom reigns, where his utter, where his utter perfection so we pray this when we're praying for others, when we're praying for people's needs. We're saying, God, your kingdom come, your will be done, that Susie can be healed. That your kingdom come, that your will be done, that so-and-so finds this job. That your kingdom come, that your will be done, that this marital relationship will be restored. We're asking for heaven to invade earth. That's intercession. We pray for others. We don't just pray for ourselves. The next thing about the prayers, it moves on to petition. Give us this day our daily bread. Petition means to request. It's asking God for basic provisional needs. Isn't it interesting that prayer, one of the unique things it does is it puts us in a position where we recognize that we are dependent beings. Prayer puts us in a position where we say, God, you know, give us this day our daily bread. We are saying that, God, you are the source and substance of everything in which I need. It puts us in a place that we should be, a place of dependence, where we are exercising our faith to say that we come humbly before you, knowing that as creature we are totally in need of the creator for day-to-day -day substance and day-to-day -day living. Daily bread is a reference to Exodus 16. Remember when they were in the Exodus, when they were in the wilderness, God rained down bread every single day, manna from heaven. I don't know if it was rye, pumpernickel, sourdough, whatever kind of bread it was, but God rained down bread from heaven. And what did they do? Every single day, they went out and collected the bread that was sufficient for that day, that would sustain them for that day. And on the seventh day, they trusted God enough that they did not actually go out they rested on that day, and on the sixth day that they gathered, it basically was able to multiply and sustain them for the seventh day. But every day it was an exercise. Literally in Exodus 16:4, it talks about gathering a day's portion every day. And God says to Moses that I may test them whether or not they will walk in my law. It was a test. Every single day they had to come to God trusting it was the wilderness. They couldn't find water. They couldn't go to 7-Eleven. They couldn't get what they needed in that way. They had to trust God every day that God was going to provide exactly as he said. Here's the thing is that sometimes being in a place of dependence, well, we should always be in a place of dependence, but sometimes when you are so desperately in need, isn't it beautiful when God meets you at that place? And it's beautiful when God meets you at that place because your heart is ready. Because your heart recognizes, you're like, okay, God, I, have, I am in utter need. I am completely dependent on you. We need daily bread. Another way to say it is we need what is sufficient for today. You don't need what is tomorrow because tomorrow's not promised. God promises us today, but he promises that he will meet our needs for us today, and we live in that daily dependence, and we receive our daily bread today. All the necessities of life. Food, shelter, those are the things that God promises. God promises to meet our needs. He never promises to meet our wants. God promises to meet our needs. He never promises to meet our wants. So whatever physical need that we have, it is okay for us to go to God and say, God, as a dependent being, I'm coming to you in recognition that I have these needs. Please meet these needs, these physical needs that I have. God promises to provide those for his people. And the last thing, the last part of this prayer, verses 12 through 15, really talk about twofold things. It talks about confession, and it talks about protection. 
confession and protection. We are encouraged to pray for our own forgiveness of sins. That our own debts. We are indebted to God. Our bank account is red until Jesus comes and then he satisfies that account. Because we are in debt because of our sin. So we are encouraged then to pray for our own personal sin. But we're also encouraged then to pray that we can extend forgiveness toward others as we have been forgiven by God. I talked about this a few weeks ago, I actually talked a lot about forgiveness, so I'm not going to camp there a little bit. But verses 14 and 15 are really a clarifying statement of what Jesus was talking about, about this, uh, this idea of forgiveness. So when we have the ability to forgive, we forgive others because we appreciate the grace that has been extended to us by God, that we receive his forgiveness, we walk in his forgiveness, and we walk in his grace now as a recipient of that forgiveness. So because of that, we can then now extend forgiveness to others as well. It is all a work of God's grace. But then we also pray for our protection. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Temptation would be so easy if it wasn't tempting, right? Sin is quite tempting sometimes. There's an allure, there's a luster. It looks real good, and then all of a sudden it produces nothing but death. But man, if it wasn't so tempting. Just like that cheesecake you may have eaten this past week. But temptation is something you resist, and you resist it. Why? Because it doesn't come from God. Scripture is very clear that we can never say that temptation comes from God. Just read the book of James. So temptation is not a work of God. So when I come across the word temptation in the Scripture, I immediately think about a lot of times Jesus in the wilderness when he was tempted by Satan. And what did Jesus do in the midst of that temptation? He went in, he, uh, he resisted the enemy based upon the word of God. He tapped into what was in there and then... Use the word of God to resist the enemy. Don't you know that scripture tells us that if we submit to God, resist the enemy, then he will flee. That's what scripture tells us, right? So submit to God, put ourselves under his authority in the right way, relationally and just to submit ourselves humbly under his authority, actively resist the enemy through the word of God and through prayer and other means, and then the devil will flee from us. Our prayer should be that God would help us stay far away from anything that might cause us to sin. But it'd be so easy if sin wasn't so alluring and so tempting at times. This is a way to recognize that we are utterly incapable and don't have the strength that we need his strength to be able to sustain us. God's grace forgives us, enables us to forgive others, and strengthens us to overcome temptation. God's grace forgives us, enables us to forgive others, and strengthens us to overcome temptation. So what does the Lord's Prayer model for us? It models for us these things. Praise, hallowed be thy name. Intercession, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. Petition, give us this day our daily bread. Confession, when it says that we forgive those, we ask for our own forgiveness, we forgive those who have trespassed or have sinned against us. And pray for protection, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. These are essential elements when it comes to prayer. This is what Jesus is modeling for us in this prayer. Now I want to talk to you a little bit about fasting. We're going to speed up a little bit. Verse 16. Because this is unique. Because when Jesus says to teach us, I think he's not, when uh, the, the request was made, I'm sorry, by the disciple to ask Jesus, and he's asking to teach us, it's very poignant that Jesus talks about prayer and he talks about fasting. These two elements right close together in proximity to each other. Verse 16 says, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. 
Truly I say to you that they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your face, your head, and wash your face. That your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So what is fasting? Here's the way that I like to define fasting. Fasting is the giving up of something temporarily in order to spend time with God and to draw close to Him. So fasting is the giving up of something temporarily in order to spend time with God and to draw close to Him. It is the suspension of one thing to then replace it with something that is much greater. It isn't just restricting yourself from something. It is replacing that with connecting with God. All right? It's saying that, God, I want you to be prioritized in my life so much more greater than what it is, a personal meal, whether it's a technology fast, whatever the case may be, and I want to replace that time so that I can spend more time with you. If you miss that other element, you're missing fasting. Fasting isn't restriction. As a matter of fact, fasting is feasting. I'm going to share with you a, uh, a quote from uh, Richard Foster that totally wrecked me, that fasting is feasting, okay? Let me share a personal story with you before we break into this, this portion of the text. A couple years ago, my wife came up to me and she said that, you know what, Adrian, I really feel like God is wanting us to do a time of prayer and fasting as a church. Many of you know I was a lead pastor for uh, seven years in a church in New Jersey. And honestly, I understood what fasting was to some degree, but it wasn't a thing that I actually liked doing. And it wasn't a thing that I saw was necessarily beneficial. So I kind of put it to the side and I said, you know what, I'll pray about it. And then, you know what, let's see what God says. And of course, I made the mistake of saying, let's, let me pray about it. <laughs> Chris is laughing because he knows. And sometimes you need to listen to your wife. She's hearing from God as much as you are. Hey, I'm saying that in all sincerity. Y'all need to listen to your spouse, right? So she was hearing from God way before I was. But here's God. God's so good that God was basically saying, yeah, I'm trying to tell you this is what you need to do. So what we did is we, uh, I, I preached this passage and I preached another passage. We talked a little bit for about three weeks before the new year. The new year is a perfect time to do this. Many churches do this right at the beginning of the year. So we preached about three weeks on this idea of praying, fasting, setting the ground, because many people like you in my congregation had never, ever experienced that. They've never fasted before. So we talked about prayer. We talked about fasting. We had them fill out these cards. We had Commitment Sunday for a couple Sundays, and we had people come up to the altar, and they would write on these cards what they were fasting, what did they wanted to see God do during that time. And we dedicated 40 days to prayer and fasting. So we, we opened the church once a week for an open time of prayer. All we had was music playing. We kept it open for two hours. And Jen and I would be there during that time and we would just pray and we would go at it. And man, those were the most sweetest times I ever had with God. And so we would just do that for like two hours. And, you know, we kept on getting report after report after report of how people, they, the things that they were saying on these cards, when they were dedicating that time to God, carving out that time to God, how God was changing marriages, how God was restoring family relationships, how God was providing jobs, how God was doing all these different things. Why? It's not because we fast to get anything. But what I think fasting does is it drowns out the rest of the noise so that way we can hear God clearly and we make him a priority like he's supposed to be. So then that way our heart is properly aligned so God can bless and it totally wrecked me personally. I never heard God with such clarity during those times. 
And it was amazing how even as a pastor that I just became stagnant in my own spiritual life. It wasn't like I wasn't doing the things. It wasn't like I wasn't praying. It wasn't like I wasn't reading my Bible, doing those things. But there was something that was missing. It still felt like a disconnect. And until all the noise got pushed away and that reprioritizing, that reconfiguring happened, then all of a sudden it was like the most beautiful time that I ever spent with Jesus. And during that time, fasted changed, fasting changed me. And I can tell you right now that Jen and I would not be here today had we not fasted and prayed. Jen and I, one of the decisions that we made to make the radical choice to come back to Texas after a meeting in the middle of COVID when it first broke out was because we fasted beforehand and with clarity, absolute clarity, God told both of us, you're supposed to go. We literally had no idea how it was all going to work out. I've told you this story before, but it was only because of fasting and prayer that we did that. My encouragement to you is that to see God move in this way, it's, it's not that fasting changes God, it changes us. It changes us. I longed for those times to spend with God. I couldn't wait to get to Friday to spend that two hours with God. I couldn't, it changed the way I, reconf I totally reconfigured the way that I spent time with God because of the result of this fasting, this fasting exercise. I started journaling. I started journaling my thoughts and my prayers. I started keeping record of the way that God was answering prayer and doing all these things. And it was amazing to see what God was doing. And for the first time in years, I genuinely felt close to him. Richard Foster in his groundbreaking book, uh, Celebration of Discipline, says this. Fasting must forever center on God. It must be God-initiated and God-ordained. Fasting reminds us that we are sustained by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Therefore, in experiences of fasting, we are not so much abstaining from food or other things as we are feasting on the word of God. Fasting is feasting. Fasting has nothing to do with lack. It has everything to do with spiritual nourishment and nourishing your soul so that way you can be healthy and you can grow in your relationship with God. Scripture does not command us necessarily like how to fast. Uh, uh, it doesn't command Christians to fast, but I think the implication, he says, when you fast is that you are going to fast and that this is an essential part of, Christian, of the Christian life. And it's something that unfortunately we don't do enough at times. I think it's assumed, the fact, and, and the reason why the disciples didn't fast is because Jesus was with them. They didn't, they, they didn't fast at that, at that time. He was con Gee, they, uh, the disciples were confronted by some of the disciples of John the Baptist, and, and, and Jesus was confronted and saying, why do your disciples not fast? And the reason why he said that was because the bridegroom was with them. But when he was taken away in Matthew 9, 15, he says, when the bridegroom is taken away from them, then they will fast. Fasting like praying and giving is a legitimate spiritual discipline to be practiced in private between a Christian and the Lord. And how often you do it is not necessarily prescribed. But I believe when we desire to seek, listen to this, when we desire to seek God's face more than we want dinner, more than we want Facebook, or more than we want to binge Netflix, that is the proper time to fast. When we want God more. This isn't something for people who aren't serious about their relationship with Jesus. If you're serious and you want to go deeper in that relationship with God, spend some time fasting. Here's, here's a one true statement for you. Fasting with the right motivation leads to spiritual transformation. Fasting with the right motivation leads to spiritual transformation. If it's not centered on God, if it's for any means other than growing in our relationship with, with God, it is not biblical fasting. It will not transform us. 
The Bible is littered with accounts of people who fasted and reasons why they fasted. In Esther chapter 4, verse 16, Esther calls for a fast of the Jews in the area before she goes before the king because it could literally result in her death. So she is going to plead for the protection of her, of her people, the Jews, who had a death wish basically put out on them. And she could die by going before the pagan king, so she asked her people to fast so that she can receive favor when she goes before the king. In Acts chapter 13, verse 2, the church at Antioch was praying and fasting, and the Holy Spirit spoke then to set aside Paul and Barnabas for the ministry. They received a word of wisdom by fasting. The Bible gives us other indications that people fasted because of sin. Uh, David was one of those examples. Grief, crisis, all the more reasons why people fasted. Some of which on that fasting sheet, I gave you a number of different scriptures that you could be able to read. My point being is that fasting is feasting. Let me summarize this for you today, and then we'll talk about how you can utilize these tools. So when we talked about prayer, we talked about how prayer is learning to communicate honestly and consistently with God. And when we looked at the Lord's Prayer, which is probably badly named in that way, but when we see Jesus' example of praying, then we see basically five essential elements that come to the forefront that are, that are important for prayer. We talked about praise. We talked about intercession. We talked about petition, confession, and asking God for his protection. When we talked about fasting, we talked about how fasting with the right motivation leads to spiritual transformation. Fasting is the giving up of something temporarily in order to spend time with God and to draw close to him. It's not just a restriction, it is then directed toward worship so that way we may feast on God. Fasting is all about God. It's not that I want something from you, I want you. I want you. Everything else falls into place when we want him and we are pursuing him. So how can you put this into practice? So I gave you two sheets. Let's, let's pull this one out first, the one that looks like a hand. Those of you guys who have this sheet uh, that looks like a hand, right? And it will be on the screen. Now, I love tools because tools are a very practical way. A tool has a use, right? And when it comes to prayer, there's not any specific prescription when it comes to prayer. I've tried many things during my Christian life. Like I said, nobody necessarily walked alongside of me and said, here's some things you should do when you pray or gave me different examples of praying. So I fumbled through many different things, but I found this tool to be useful. This is put together by the navigators. And since we all have hands in that way, when you see your hand, you could be reminded of some of these elements that we talked about when it comes to prayer. They also give you a few different other scriptural references. So we see the things that we talked about outside of Thanksgiving. They add Thanksgiving in there. So praise, Thanksgiving, intercession, petition and confession. All of these things are essential elements when we pray. So when I pray, when I start off, I always start off with praise. I think it directs our heart in the right way. I start off by thanking God for who he is, for all he has done, and I want to get my heart right before God. I really believe that the rest of these elements, you could do them in whatever manner that you want to do. And it's not like you have to be so rigid about it, but that this can be a, a mechanism for you to be able to think, okay, when I pray, let me pray with intention, and let me pray with the right heart. So I hope that you can utilize this tool. Keep it on your refrigerator or keep it with you wherever you, uh, you know, wherever you spend your time with Jesus. Keep it in your Bible. When I'm speak thinking about this as it relates to prayer as well, there are so many different tools out there for prayer. Not only are there, I would encourage you to continue to be a student of prayer. Continue to learn more. You can read books about it, but also there are books of guided prayer that will help you to be able to pray. 
And the Bible is filled with prayers. One of the things that I find that's so helpful as well, especially when you look in Paul's letters, Paul's letters, a lot of times, he's praying for the church. And some of those things, as you look at those, you can see those as models, and you can use them at, at the forefront to be able to pray those yourself as well, as you grow more comfortable in praying. Here's what I want to say at the end point of all of that, is it might feel uncomfortable, it might feel intimidating for a while, but just do it. Just do it. It's something that you will grow in. It's something that you can learn. It's something that somebody who may be more mature in the faith can come alongside of you and be able to help you. It is something that we learn. It's not something we are naturally grown up with to be able to learn, to, to know what prayer is about. So just do it. The last thing is I would encourage you to think about fasting. This sheet which I developed for our, our church basically explains to you all about fasting. It tells you about the different types of fast you can do. It describes what fasting is. It gives you a bunch of key scriptures about fasting. Uh, and so there's a number of churches, as I said, this is a perfect time at the beginning of the year to do something like this. And I know a church in the area that is actually doing something that they call hashtag silent January. And as a church, they're disconnecting from social media. That people, that, that people in the congregation, they're challenging them to disconnect from social media. That's what I'm doing during this time. Because to me, that's a big crux. Fasting should be something that's sacrificial, that costs you something. If it's no problem that you skip breakfast every morning because you're just so busy, don't say you're fasting breakfast. Fast something that hurts. That's important. Fast something that hurts. Fast something that's a sacrifice. Something that is going to make you re realign your priorities and say that I'm going to give this up so that way I can spend more time with God. So the needless scrolling and social media and all those other different things, for me, I find myself needlessly scrolling sometimes and it's not very helpful or beneficial to me. I'm going to try to spend more time with God instead of doing that. So hashtag, I'm going silent for January. So if y'all don't see me on Facebook, those of you who are with, with us on Facebook, that that's what I'm planning on doing. It's because I want to connect with God. I want to I want to start the year right. A lot of people, when we start New Year's resolutions, how many of you have a goal that you want to connect, you want to grow in your relationship with Jesus this year? These are perfect tools to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus. To be able to utilize prayer in a significant way and to utilize fasting. So let's pray that God would do a great work in our heart and that he would do a great work through the people in this church and that he'll revolutionize everything that's going on in the spiritual dynamic of this church because God is changing his people through things like prayer and fasting. Let's pray. Well, Lord, as we mentioned into your word today, I pray that as we walked away with some very practical things and we look at the Lord's prayer, and I look at the sincerity of the question by the disciple to say, Lord, teach us to pray. It's something that we take for granted, that we, it's something that we can grow in no matter how long we have been believers, Lord. We can grow in prayer. We can grow in the manner in which we pray. We can grow in being able to listen and to hear you more clearly. We can grow in being able to drown out those distractions so that way we are able to focus more on you. And Lord, I pray that those under the sound of my voice today, maybe who have never fasted before, would consider taking this next step to go deeper in their relationship with you, to be able to give away something that is sacrificial so that way they can be able to spend more time with you, Lord. And I know that their lives will never be the same for doing so. Because, Lord, when we reorient our lives and make you the primary focus, we align ourselves for you to move in our lives. We align ourselves to be able to hear more clearly from you. 
and to grow in our relationship with you. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you are here today on the sound of my voice, this prayer that we saw modeled begins with the words, Ah, Father. That assumes a relationship. That assumes that we are children. And to be children of God, we need to place our faith in Jesus and that we are considered and we are adopted as sons and daughters of the Most High God. So if you are here today or if you are online and you have not made a, you have not placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I pray that you would do so today to know that Jesus came to this earth. He died upon the cross as your substitute for sin. He was buried and he rose again in order to pay the price for sin and that when we place our faith, our trust in him, then he comes into our lives. He makes us new creations in Christ and we are secure in our salvation that we receive from him as the gift of his grace. So receive his grace today and receive that. Just simply say in your heart that, Lord, I need you and I'm a sinner in need of a savior. Confess your sin to him and tell him that I want to make you the Lord of my life and make me a new creation in you that I may serve you all the days of my life. So Lord, we honor you. We thank you for getting us through a trying year and bringing us to this new year. And Lord, may you be glorified in it, in our lives and through this church. In Jesus' most precious and holy name, amen. Amen, amen. All right, let's stand together, family. Yeah, let's show our appreciation. Thank you, Pastor Adrian, for your faithful study and teaching. We've been challenged. If you all want to ask some questions or learn more about prayer and fasting, uh, Pastor Adrian will be up front and uh, available. Uh, what a great way to start off the new year. Amen? All right. Well, it's time to go into the world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Honor all men. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak help the suffering, and share the gospel. Love and serve the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all till we meet again 9.30 a.m. next week for breakfast. Yeah! How many of y'all like breakfast? I expect to see us all together enjoying a plate of food and then coming over for worship. But do not forget, family, you are loved. Now let's love one another before we leave because the world will know us by our love for one another, but then let's take that love outside these doors. Have a wonderful Sunday.